0: I'm Brian Pearson. This is the Mystic Cave.
1: We were born before the wind. Also younger than the sun. And our monitor boat was one as we sailed into the mystic.
0: The Mystic Cave is a sanctuary for the seeker. Stories, conversations, and reflections about the spiritual journey on the other side of Churchland. In today's episode, I want to gather my thoughts following several stimulating conversations on the subject of death and dying. What did we hear in those conversations? What did we learn? How does our understanding of death impact the life we live here and now? I also want to pick up on some of the guideposts that emerged from these conversations. Hints about where we might go from here on this podcast. What are the implications for the spiritual journey way out here, as we say, on the other side of churchland? Where does it lead us next on this unknown path? To get there, I want to start here. With a memory that returned to my mind while pursuing this subject... When I was a preteen, maybe 9 or 10, I recall reading an astonishing anecdote in a National Geographic magazine we had lying around our house. This alone is astonishing because, other than this memory, what I recall is flipping through the pages of those magazines looking for pictures of bare-breasted women. But I must have actually been reading this article, or scanning it at least. It was about the life and travels of a modern-day explorer. It cannot have been Livingstone because he's the only one whose name I would have known and remembered. But whoever he was, he was revered by the writer of the article, who told this story. On the explorer's deathbed, a friend leaned in close and expressed his sadness that the explorer's adventures were coming to an end. Not so, said the explorer, smiling. This is the greatest adventure of them all. That comment has stuck with me when so much other information has fallen by the wayside, including my former addresses and phone numbers and the names of my high school girlfriends. I marveled that someone could see death that way, not as an ending to be feared, but as an adventure to be anticipated. I was too young to have thought much about death and dying up to that point, But this single story has guided my thoughts ever since. Looking back over the songs I've written, trying to find one or two I might use to provide some color for these podcasts, I was amazed to see how many addressed the subject of death. Understandably, some of those songs grew out of my born-again Christian faith, where they were not so much about death and dying as they were about being saved and going to heaven. "'Headin' down the highway' was a catchy little number I penned and then performed at the wedding of a friend. The chorus went, "'Headin' down the highway bound for heaven, "'movin' down the road that's paved with bright sunlit gold, "'livin' out the only life worth living, "'going where the devil has no hold.'" I don't know, but I guess that was what a young Christian couple wanted to hear. "'It's better where we are now because it's great where we're going.'" And sunlit gold, I spelt it S-O-N, as if in some sort of secret code I knew they'd get. But when I wasn't referencing salvation, I was thinking about death in broader, almost mystical terms. In a song called Sea Swell, I seemed pretty comfortable with the idea of dying and not knowing exactly where that would lead me. Sea Swell, Gull's Call. Earth rolls, leave all. I know that I'm on my way, like a gull caught up in a sea bound breeze, and I'm gone. I'm not sure where I'm bound, but there's a strong west wind and a day's light leading me on. Similarly, in an old song called There's a Light, which I rewrote and recorded several years ago, and which I included on the episode with Margot McKinnon, I sing, But There's a Light crowned with brightness, breaking the night, calling our names. On my two albums, So Far and Let the Dogs Run Free, out of 22 songs, nine of those songs deal one way or another with death and dying. So it seems only natural that the subject sprang to mind as soon as I felt I was free of church doctrine to begin exploring for myself the great questions of life. Somehow, the belief that Jesus died for my sins, preparing my way to heaven, where I'd meet up with all the other faithful who'd accepted him as their Lord and Savior, this failed to capture anything useful about what actually happens when we die. How exactly did his death appease God for my sin, and what kind of a God would even set things up like that in the first place? As well, It implied that all unbelievers would not be going with us, which made me feel bad about some beloved friends, relatives, and even mentors, like my Jewish philosophy professor, Saul Tenenzaff. Was heaven really such a thrilling idea if it excluded some of the wisest and most loving people I knew? So the salvation of the faithful, the notion of heaven and hell, these were the first to go when I allowed myself to start thinking outside the Christian box. And that meant that many of the prayers we read on Sundays and at both baptisms and funerals, as Meg Ryan says in French Kiss, made my ass twitch. I had to say them, some of them anyway, they were in the book, until I began writing my own and flagrantly replacing parts of the Book of Common Prayer known as the BCP with, simply, the Book of Brian Pearson, or the BBP. It was liberating in the funeral service, for instance, simply to skip over these words in the Prayer of Commendation. Acknowledge, we pray, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Is that really what we wanted to say as we sent someone off on their final journey, reminding everyone that, in truth, Grandma was a sinner of God's own redeeming, if only she had actually, during her lifetime, accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior? The dissonance between stock Christian belief and the reality of a life fully lived, whatever the person's personal relationship with God, this began to bother me as it bothered other clergy who felt the same disconnect. Tara Livingston, in our conversation, referenced her own need in her days as a priest to convey at funerals a sense that the departed was going home, despite whatever else she was required to say according to the rubrics. Like me, Tara had been grasped by a larger vision of death and dying than the church espoused, a more generous vision, dare we say, a more loving vision?
2: I have no fear of death. I have fear of what's going to happen right before it. Yeah. You know, I've just witnessed my father suffering and those kinds of things. That That is frightening to me. But not the actual, my end of earthly life. Yeah, I feel the same. Doesn't yeah. scare me. And it's not because Jesus is going to, you know, appear and... T- and c- that's not the vision that i have but very much what i what i used to preach at at um at funerals was that i'm going to be enveloped back into something the whole the universe another plane i don't know yeah um but it's going to be comforting and that i will have an experience of those who have who loved me who have already gone ahead
0: yeah For those of us who saw this larger vision, we also began to see death as a journey in which, however lonesome, we were not alone. In fact, the dead themselves suddenly seem not to be so far away, as suggested by the notion of a place called heaven, but are still here, in our midst, sometimes reaching out to us for contact, perhaps for our healing, perhaps for theirs. This was Jessica Waite's experience, who had not grown up with Christian belief except in the broadest sense of a vague belief that we go to heaven when we die. When her husband Sean died suddenly, leaving her and their young son, Jessica was devastated. But even more so when his secret life began to reveal itself, revelations that threatened everything she believed about their love and about their marriage. When at first she began to experience hints that he was trying to reach out to her from beyond the grave, she wasn't inclined to take his call. But when she did, she found herself swept up in a dance that brought healing to them both. This presented a picture of dying that was reassuring to her and instructive to the rest of us who heard the story.
3: I feel like there is an ecosystem between the living and the dead, and that I don't think that Sean's soul depends on me or what I do, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that there are things that we can do as living beings that can facilitate our own growth and also help <laughs> beings on the other side and that they can help us. So yeah. and please don't ask me how it works because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um but it feels very It feels very true, and the more I live my life with a sense of that being true, the more hopeful I feel.
0: A hopeful picture indeed. Perhaps the end is not the end. But none of this is newsworthy to those unencumbered by the beliefs of the church or the assumptions of our culture. For many, death is not about an ending, just as surely as it's not about heaven and hell. It's about A transfer of energy from the physical plane to the spiritual. Life seeking life, even in death. It's about a new beginning. To Sarah Kerr, a death doula and ritual healing practitioner, Jessica's story was not strange at all. Yes, the dead are still with us. Yes, the veil can be breached. Yes, life goes on, on the other side. But sometimes that process is facilitated with the help of guides, physically from this side and spiritually from the other. Picturing death as a boat crossing a river, Sarah places herself at the dock to assist the dying as they set out on their journey and the living as they let them go. But, she said in our conversation, this way of thinking of death and dying, as ancient as human history and as natural as the changing of the seasons, has become countercultural in the present age, at least here in the West, Learning how to accept death at the personal level may be a way of helping us to evolve at a cultural level. A,
3: a death-positive approach not only shifts things for individuals and families who are facing the death of someone they love or their own death. That's a that's a very real aspect of it. But it's also something much bigger, which is the death of this way of living. And I think we're seeing that all around us. We just can't continue. The world is on fire. The the military situation around the world, we're just now facing what's happening in Afghanistan. We cannot continue to go like this. This this edifice we've built is going to fall. And so what does it mean to die well or to help a culture die well? And if we don't have the very personal lived experience of helping someone we love die well and recognizing that there is something on the other side of death, that this ending is incredibly painful, but it can make possible something new, If we don't have that at a personal level, it's hard to imagine that at a cultural level.
0: Margot McKinnon, spiritual counselor and mentor, takes for granted the notion of the river crossing as an image for dying, but is even more interested in the prevenient notion of our having come from across the river in the first place. In death, we return to the realm from which we came. And we came with certain strengths to be employed gainfully, and weaknesses to be worked on, and an evolving sense of wholeness, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a species. We have come, in other words, with work to do. The problem for some people, as Margot sees it, is that in the shadows of their psyche, they still remember the blissful state from which they came, and they have a hard time adjusting to the harsh reality, sometimes the cruelty of mortal life. This could describe many of us.
2: A spirit dominant person, uh, they value unconditional love above everything else. Hmm. They remember the unconditional love from the other side. They've come down into being human and they see a world that they now must live in that is unnecessarily harsh and abrasive, cruel, hmm. competitive, hmm. loud um many uh, spirit dominant people when their spirit gets inside the body and um want you know is being born it's like they're be- they're being invited or forced to go to a party that they don't want to go to yeah.
0: no one knows more about the various exchanges between this world and the next than those who devote themselves to being bridges conduits between the living and the dead I'm talking about spiritualists who facilitate messages flowing back and forth across that river. I know their work personally, for it was in their midst that I experienced a visitation from my dad, 14 years after he had died. But talking with Jane Fleming, a minister at Calgary First Spiritualist Church... I was reminded that beyond all the wondrous phenomena spiritualists experience, from messages to healings to revelations from guides on the other side, our real work is in this world, not the next. We are all on a journey toward our union with God, and what we do or don't do in this life affects our progress on that journey.
3: We learned that uh, it was a very difficult journey on this side, but you must uh, honor it because this is where we grow the most. And that's why those who believe in uh, reincarnation understand that you may choose, your soul may choose to come back because this is where we grow the most. Here on the earth plane, through all those traumas and yeah. all those difficulties we have, yeah. we're growing and they're all, even if we at the end feel depressed or don't feel that we've grown, we have, we've learned something that I can't possibly express. What is it that I have learned? Yeah. But I know it is a journey and I am learning something, but I probably could say, yes, I've grown a lot through my
0: <laughs> decades. So we are brought full circle back to the path beneath our feet. Whatever happens in death, we have a life to live now. We have a calling from before we were born to accept the gifts we have been given and to offer those gifts in service to the world. Herein lies our purpose, to become the people we were created to be and to bless the world with our true selves. It is a vocation that was planted deep within our souls before we stood upon the earth and that will follow us when we leave. Perhaps if we fail in our mission, missing the mark altogether, we'll be given another chance to come back and try again. Perhaps our growth continues on the other side, where we grow into the likeness of the one from whom we came. But this much we know now. The path beckons here and now, and we must take the next step, and then the next, on this great spiritual journey that eventually will lead us home. And this much I know. However glorious the next world, however glad my spirit will be to be going home, I'm still going to miss this world. Here's a song about that to lighten our steps as we go. From my album, Let the Dogs Run Free, it's called, I'm Gonna Miss All This.
1: The surge of the waves at the edge of the sea The fingers of mist rising up through the trees The billowing clouds at the top of my list I'm gonna miss all this The weight of my heart when it's full of delight The rush of my mind when it's pierced by the light The wonder at life that my soul can't resist I'm gonna miss all this I don't know when the world will end But it will be too soon I don't know when this road will bend To take me to the dark side of the moon The way that you light up a room with your eyes You're whoopin' a laugh when you're caught by surprise The touch of your skin when it's sealed with a kiss I'm gonna miss all this earth in the spring when it rains. The dry, dusty wind that sweeps across the plain. A sweet baby's breath, but you get the gist. I'm gonna miss moments like this. I'll reminisce in spite of the bliss. I'm sure gonna miss.
0: Thank you so much for listening and for being my companions along this unknown path. It means a lot to me knowing you're there, finding your own guideposts and learning your own truths. If you'd like to share something of your journey with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a post on the Mystic Cave Facebook group, or you can write to me personally at mysticcaveman53 at gmail.com. Next time... We lower our gaze from the heavens to find ourselves here, in this moment, with our feet firmly planted on the earth. In the cave, perhaps, where we're leaning in around the fire and telling stories to each other. Michael Trotta left his teaching job to pursue his passion for something he felt had the power to change lives. The myths and stories we tell ourselves. He might even say, we are the stories we tell. But some stories can undermine our ability to live the unique lives we are called to live. Others open doors of possibility for us. Storytelling matters. That's why he produces a podcast called Story Mischief and speaks and offers workshops on storytelling. You'll meet him next time. Also, I'm changing the release of this podcast from a weekly program to bi-weekly. This gives me more time to prepare each episode and gives you a bit of a breather as well. We don't want too much of a good thing. And it is a good thing, this mystic cave where we get to hang out together to explore the spiritual journey and to ask life's deeper questions. If you like it here, please tell your friends. They're welcome too. So I'll see you again in two weeks. Until then, I'm Brian Pearson. This has been... Mystic Cave.